Welcome to the Seven Hills Church Podcast with Marcus Mika. We're excited you're here listening as Pastor Marcus is about to bring an incredible teaching that is sure to inspire, motivate, and lift you up. You can visit us on our website at sevenhillschurch.tv or download our free Seven Hills Church app to watch or listen to more exclusive content. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed the message. chapter 5, beginning our new relationship series now over these next several weeks. Let's look at verse number 20, 28. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. How many of you know that's a great way to start off a sermon right there? <laughs> Just If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Cast it from you. This is Jesus talking, by the way. You know, nice, sweet, holds the lamb, come on, picture of Jesus in your grandma's house, which by the way, Carol and Dallas, you guys did outstanding. We love you so much, honor you, and for if it is profitable, more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. We went from lust to hell in one sentence. Jesus is not playing. If your right hand causes you to sin, cast it, cut it off, cast it from you for it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than the whole body be cast into hell. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you not just for what you give us In the scripture, but that the spirit of God brings these God-breathed words to life in our individual and personal situations. Every person here, God, we need you to breathe on your word today that we might hear and understand what it is that you would say to each of us personally and specifically. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you into this time. I, I invite you as the one communicating to use me in some way, shape, or form to honor you through what I say. And I pray that they invite you to anoint their ears that they might also hear what you would say to them. And we all said a big amen. When I was growing up and we would watch a movie at our house, you know, our, our house wasn't as holy as Sarah's house. Uh, Sarah, when she grew up, her mom wouldn't even let her watch the Smurfs. Uh, they were demonic or something. I don't know. So she had a different maybe experience. But for me, I'd watch the same movies that my parents would watch and an inappropriate scene would come up. And uh, their way of dealing with it was cover your eyes. Come on, don't look, right? And what did you do? Come on. You would look. So I'm going to talk to you about the price of an unchecked sex drive. But I'm not going to ask you to not look. I'm going to ask you to open your eyes. I'm going to actually tell you to look. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 that when you're instructed, even in a religious environment, to don't touch, don't look, don't taste, that there's an appearance of religion in that or an appearance of wisdom when somebody's saying, don't, 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 you shouldn't, never There's an appearance of wisdom in that. There's an appearance of humility. But the Bible says 
and you can read it. They may be even throwing it up on the screen. They should. It, it says that it, it doesn't stop the flesh from indulging in the very thing you're saying not to do. It actually does the opposite. It makes your flesh want it more. So it goes on to say that instead of saying don't do something, do it, but look at it from a different perspective. Instead of looking at it from the world's perspective, God invites us to look at it from his perspective, to come up a little bit higher and look at this issue. We're all human beings. We all have a sex drive. And to look at that from his perspective and what he says about it. What Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, what begins with the eye takes over the whole body. And then again, he quickly goes to a place called hell. Starts with the hand, the whole body, to hell. Now, I want you to think about hell not just being the place, even though there is a place. No more than I want you to think about when Jesus prayed about, to call us to pray, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. He wasn't just talking about the place. In other words, yes, there's the place that we can spend eternity, but there's also a way that we can pray that the characteristics of that place and the God that inhabits that place, that he would come into our life, into our homes, into our world, and into what we do every single day. In the same way, whether you know it or not, you can invite hell and the characteristics of hell and the demonic activity of hell. You can also invite that into your life. And the Bible says, be careful because your eye What you start with your eye doesn't stay with your eye. It doesn't stay there. It can consume your whole body. And by the way, it can invite hell into your life. So the Bible's instructions are that you pluck your eye out or you cut your hand off. Now that's violent, not to mention painful. And if taken literally, it renders the entire human race blind in a matter of moments. So what is it describing? What is it saying? What is it speaking about? It's talking about how sexual sin begins seemingly small. It begins with the eye level, the hand level. It starts small. It's not a big deal at first. It's just something you're viewing. It's just something you're looking at. But it doesn't stop there. It can consume your whole life. And if the gradual nature of it is not dealt with, it can invite hell into your life. So lust we know is gradual. It begins in one place and it ends in a much greater place. James says it like this, that it's like how a woman conceives. The seed is conceived and then the child grows in the womb of the woman and then eventually she gives birth. And that child becomes a toddler that throws temper tantrums and screams and wakes you up at five in the morning and makes you watch Blue's Clues. They still watch Blue's Clues today. I still have nightmares from Blue's Clues. (laughs) And then eventually it grows into a teenager and spends all your money. And then she wants to get married and spends money you don't have. And then it's a personal thing right now. The point is sin has a way of growing up on us. Sexual sin, Jesus said, begins with the eye. It begins with the hand, but it doesn't stay there. It, it continually to gradually increase in your life. And so he said, you have to deal with it. 
in a radical way at inception. You have to deal with it in an extreme way at the eye level. And it goes on to say, because you are more than an eye, you are more than a hand, you are more than a brain with images and thoughts, that you and I are made in the image of God, that we are even more than body, we have a soul and we have a spirit and we are heir, bearers of the image and the divine image of God. And that sexual sin isn't going to just start with one piece of you and then be satisfied. It wants every part of you. It wants all of you. It, it wants to take over your whole life and it won't stop until it gets you body, soul, and spirit. What starts with the hand, what starts with the eye level, what starts with maybe this kind of in a small way will continue to advance until it consumes your whole life and brings hell into every area of your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 deals with the nature of how this works. It says, you are to flee sexual immorality. Every sin that man does outside the body... But sexual sin and sexual immorality is against his own body. So God, and Paul specifically, elevates sexual sin above other sins, not because they're greater in their offense towards God. The Bible says it's greater in its offense towards yourself. When you commit sexual sin, it's not that God in any way is less forgiving with it, it's that you sin against you. The word against means that there is a result of that sin that's continual. It's far more exceeding than just the event and that it affects your entire being. Like Jesus, it affects your eye, it affects your thoughts, it affects your mind, but it doesn't stop there until it has every and all parts of you. Your body, your emotions, your choices, your memories. Can't listen to songs. Can't drive down streets. Can't look at cars. It has a way of traveling with you and it's brought into moments throughout the rest of your life. I'm not trying to be graphic for any other reason than to say it's not just that you sin against God. Paul said you sin against yourself. God loves you. God can forgive you. God is gracious. God is good. But what hasn't been resolved is what you fill your mind and your body and your heart with. Forgiveness with God does not remove the far exceeding continual consequences that you now have to deal with as a result. It starts with the eye, but it then takes over the whole body and it doesn't stop there. Hell continues to use that against you to have access into your life, access into your mind, access into your relationships. And hell wants to use that thing in a far exceeding continual way. The Latin word for sex is sicar, which means to sever or to amputate. So the world wants to tell you that sexual relationships, specifically sexual sin, is how you connect with people. That's how you are close to people. That's how you feel validated. That's how you feel wanted 
or desired. That, that that's, that's, if you engage in that, that's how you connect with another human being. But sexual sin actually disconnects you from people. It severs you from intimacy with other, others. And it doesn't connect you. It isolates you. And it amputates you off of the things that bring you life and the kind of relationships that are godly and healthy. So the world says it doesn't matter. The world says it's not a big deal. The world says you can sleep with whoever, whenever, however. It's just casual. You just sweep right. It's not a big deal. Who cares? It's just sex. But Jesus said, no, it's the eye. Then it's the whole body. And then it invites hell into your life. In other words, he said, look at it, but look at it good because this is a big deal. It's not going to just stay small. It will continue to grow and it will continue to be a bigger thing. And it's not whatever. And it's not casual. It is a significant thing you should consider in a great way. You shouldn't just let the locker room try to teach you how to think about it. You should go at it in a broader way than that. So so what's the deal? What's the deal? Because every person in this room, I wouldn't say every, but most people in this room have had mess-ups. We've made mistakes. We've fallen. We've slipped up. The gospel is not something that rescues you from ever sinning again. The gospel does not rescue you from ever slipping up or messing up or making a mistake again. The gospel's power is to break the habitual nature of sin. The way the gospel works is it breaks the pattern of sin. So I'm here to say, I'm not asking you, do you slip up? I'm not asking you, do you every now and then have an issue. I'm not justifying that. I'm asking when that happens, do you justify it in a way that it becomes something that's a set part of your life, a regular part of your life, something that you engage in? So the gospel should give you a checkpoint. Are you progressing spiritually? Is there a decrease in the frequency of leaning towards the world? And is there an increase in frequency in how you lean into God? You should be able to think in your mind like a graph that I'm growing towards God and I'm growing away from the world. I'm growing away from those kind of things. It's not a graph that says you have to be perfect and you never have down moments. What it is, is it's an idea that when I fall like Samson, my hair and my strength grows back. Like David, I make my comeback. I don't stay in it. I don't live in it. It's not a habit. The gospel breaks me free from the power of habitual sin. We have to talk about it because 68% of men in this room view porn. 18% of women, which by the way, teenagers, it's 80% on a regular basis. The average age of a child now seeing porn is 11. It's 11 years old. Our world has changed. Access has changed. It's not the same way. What used to be in the back room is now front and center every single minute of every single day. It's not the same anymore.
And what am I trying to say? Am I trying to say that you should feel ashamed? No, I'm being transparent with you for the purpose of saying that you should be asking yourself, not do you slip up or have you slipped up, but have you diminished in your capacity to care about it? Have you become numb to it? Have you just allowed it to slip in and to become a normal part of your life? Again, because the purpose of it, according to Jesus, is it brings hell in. Hell is eternal separation from God. So when hell comes in, what starts to happen is your life has an absence of God, a pulling away from God, a pulling away from spiritual things. Even in a sermon like this, a pulling away from it, a backing away, uh, this is too much, this is too far. It has a way of giving you the mindset of not feeling close to God and not feeling sensitive to God. And the Holy Spirit can no longer sting your soul because sexual sin doesn't just stay with the eye. It consumes your whole life and then it brings the sense that God is not present like he needs to be or should be. And again, that's the way the enemy works and what the world wants you to think is it's not a big deal, but what God wants you to know is where it leads is the bigger deal. It leads to this life where you don't sense me and I feel absent and I feel far and I feel removed and that's never what God wants to do. He wants us to remove anything that would rob us of our confidence, rob us of our conviction, rob us of our courage, rob us of our standards. Come on, somebody. We need to say, God, help me not stay at this place where the I thing becomes a whole life thing. Ephesians 5 and verse 6 says, and this is referring to sexual sin, let no man deceive you of its consequences. The message Bible says, let no one use Religious smooth talk. Another translation says, let no one blah, blah, blah about this subject. I like that. What we call a casual hookup, Jesus pulled no punches. He said, you take an ax to your own soul. You say, it's just something I look at. What's the big deal? Proverbs 6.27 says, can you put fire into your bosom and it not burn your clothes off. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 says that you should not be deceived. God is not mocked. Where you sow, you will reap. In other words, the idea for you and I is if we sow the seed of our time, the seed of our mind, the seed of our emotions, the seed of, of our life into something, that you cannot think that you're not going to have a harvest that comes out of that. Don't deceive yourself. At some point, those seeds mature. And the Bible goes on to say, don't think that if you sow into the flesh, you're going to reap something spiritual. If you sow into the flesh, you reap after the flesh, which it says is corruption. So if you sow those seeds, don't be deceived. Exposure in an area of your life is certain. And exposure does not come to believers because God wants to hurt us. Exposure comes because he loves us and he wants to stop that thing before it consumes all of us and brings hell into our life and possibly even takes us to a place called hell. I asked myself this question before I preached this sermon. Is sexual purity impossible? in the day we live in. Is sexual purity impossible? 
Is it impossible? Well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I'll not be brought under the power of any. So again, it's speaking of the habitual nature of something, coming under the power of something. It controls you, it drives you, it motivates you. Verse 13, it begins to talk about how the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now watch what's happening here. Just talk to us about sexual immorality and then look at verse 14. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So referring to sexual immorality, God compares sexual purity with Jesus being raised from the dead. So let me ask you a question. Is Jesus being raised from the dead a miracle? Think about it. His lifeless body, his beaten body, dragged into a tomb, lifeless for three days, a 2,000-pound boulder put in front of it. He's gone. He's dead. But on the third day, God, by his spirit, raised up the physical, bloody, beaten body of Jesus out of that grave, and he came out. Is that a miracle? Well, the Bible says in the same way we think sexual purity is impossible, you have to compare it to that grave. And if God raised Jesus up out of that grave, he can raise you up out of the grave of sexual immorality or sexual sin of any kind. But it does require him to help you. God cares so much he would never leave us powerless to hear sermons like this and be on our own just to try harder. Don't look. It's not how he empowers us. He gave us sexual desire. He gave us that passion. He gave us marriage between a man and a woman so sex could be enjoyed the way God gifted it to us. Hebrews 13.4 tells us the marriage bed is undefiled, which lets us know that God gave us sex. He created sex. And by the way, he did it. Watch this. He did it before sin entered the planet. So everybody thinks when you talk about sex that it's sin. No, sex is not sin. God created it. We're the ones and the devil's the one who has taken it away from God's original purpose and turned it into something he's not designed it to be. The marriage bed is undefiled, which means you're supposed to enjoy it. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be a place of intimacy. It's supposed to be a place of fulfillment. And the word undefiled is a Bible word. We never use it in our daily life, but it simply means to be defiled means something someone puts on you. You didn't put it on you. Someone else put it on you. So when the marriage bed becomes defiled, what God is saying, that's because the enemy has put something on it. The world has put something on it that God did not put on it. It's boring. It's no fun. There's no creativity. There's no freedom. If you really want to be exhilarated, if you really want to have excitement, if you really want to have freedom, then it has to be in sin. It has to be in immorality. But you and I have to know the most powerful sex organ we have is in between our ears and we have to ask God to teach us how to look at it. And the marriage bed is undefiled. The way God designed it, it is to be a powerful, powerful gift. It's to be a place of great intimacy that creates an unbreakable bond between you and another human being. When God is honored, it is a gift. It is special and it is 
something God gave us. So my challenge is, as God's people, why have we allowed the devil and the world to steal and defile God's design for sex and make it his? How long will we let hell plagiarize the gift of God? I believe it's happened long enough and that we owe it to ourselves to say, God, we want to open our eyes. We don't want to close our eyes, but we want to see it the way you've called us to see it. We want to look at it the way you've called us to look at it. Because if we keep living our life, looking at it through the world's eyes, then it consumes our whole life and it brings hell into our life. But if we'll look at it the way he wants us to look at it, come on, it will consume your life in a godly way a righteous way. And guess what? It can even invite heaven into your life, heaven into your home, heaven into your marriage. But you have to say, God, let me see it the way you do. Real quick, three things and we'll get out of here. Three things that Samson lost and that you will lose if you refuse to deal with this area of your life. Number one, he had a loss of mission. Samson initially was raised up by God supernaturally to be a judge to defeat the Philistines. Delilah, who was gorgeous, was a Philistine. So notice he's sleeping with what he was supposed to be defeating. And I think the reason the church is more and more having a loss of mission is because we're sleeping with the things we're supposed to be defeating. We're hanging out around the things God has called us to confront. We're silent on the things that God has called us to be loud on. We, 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 we are no longer having a sense of mission. We're weak on helping others stay pure. We're weak on things like sex trafficking. We're weak on things like abortion. And I'm not saying that to bring shame. I'm saying it because we've involved our lives in it. The enemy has robbed us of our sense of mission. Again, understand I'm here To do nothing but say, if you've made mistakes, if you've gone down that road, you don't have to allow it to keep growing. You can allow in an extreme way today for God to cut that thing off, for God to stop that thing. I'm not going to let it go any further. I'm by his grace going to say it's gone far enough. It's taken enough from me and it will take no more. And if you'll do that, God will give you a sense of mission back and he'll give you a sense of call and purpose back in that area of your life. Number two, the loss of common sense. Four times Delilah tried to trip Samson up. Four times she tricked him to try to kill him. You would think after the first time he'd be like, ah, I get it, this woman's no good, Right? No, he keeps going back. When he should have hit the brakes, he pushes on the gas. Over and over, she deceives him. Over and over, he keeps going back. And we say that makes no sense. We know that pornography releases dopamine in your brain, which is the same chemical that's released. It's the exact same chemical that's released when somebody shoots up heroin or takes methamphetamines, which means it is addictive. So across this room, every single one of us, unless you have crossed that line in your life, would say to someone that's putting heroin in their body over and over, we would say, it makes no sense. Why would you put your life at risk for something so dumb? We would, we would say, 
It makes no sense that you would hurt your family and your friends and your future and rob from people that you love. It makes no sense because addiction doesn't make sense. Well, guess what happens with sexual sin? In the same way that that addict pushes common sense away, this is the same thing that we do in services like this. We push common sense away. We don't think. We don't use wisdom. We don't use the mind of God. We don't use our brain. And it gets into our heart and it causes us to continue down a path that is destructive no matter how much we tell ourselves we got it, we can handle it, I'm good, I'm set, I'm managing it. That's not the way to look at it. The way to look at it is it is addictive and it will cause you to lose your common sense. But God can help you and I think about it right and have our sense about us and our wits about us and awareness about things and a, 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 a way to manage and keep in check our sex drive. And I believe God wants to do that today. Number three, there's a loss of God's favor. The Bible says the spirit of God departed from Samson and he didn't even know it. The favor of God lifted off of his life. The favor of God left him. I wonder if the favor of God is lifting off the church. I wonder if we're losing his favor because we refuse to confront sexual sin. You know, Joseph, we know, confronted sexual temptation. When Potiphar's wife came at him, he confronted it. And watch how he confronted it. This is how he confronted it. He said, I could never cross that line. This is what he said. He said, because Potiphar has been so good to me and because God has been so good to me. In other words, he said, I can stand up and say no because God has been so good to me. Listen, has God been good to you? I want you to think about your babies. I want you to think about your kids. I want you to think about your spouse. I want you to think about your future. I want you to think about this church, if this is your church, I want you to think about your small group, the people you serve beside. And I want you to know God is not afraid of your mess, but he does want to clean up your mess. Again, I'm not asking you today to try harder. I'm asking you to invite God in to help you. To say, God, I need your help. It feels impossible. But the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead, you said could raise me up. And that I don't have to stay in this and I don't have to allow it to grow and I don't have to allow it to take over my life and I don't have to allow it to control. I don't have to be under the power of it. The gospel can break me free from its power. I want to tell you the way I think God told me to end this message that a really good step that we could take is I want everybody to pull out their iPhones, pull out their iPhones. Did you know in your back pocket you have more technology than what it took to put the first rocket on the moon? Right here. You have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in your back pocket. Not every now and then. You have it there pretty much every second, every minute of every day. Right here. 
Now, I want you to do something. I want you to stand up, and I want you to give your neighbor your phone. Come on, give it to him. Give it to him. It's about to get real here. Okay. Now, now I want you to go ahead and tell them your code. Tell them your code so they can open. No, I'm just playing. I won't do that to you. Ooh. We can only get so real in church. That's uh, a little far. Hey, be sincere about it, though. Be sincere. You know how uncomfortable it is when somebody looks at your phone? Somebody gets your phone? You know how uncomfortable it is when somebody tries to get on your phone? Wants to look at your stuff? That's why you keep your website, your web search is private, just in case they get on. I asked you to hand it to him because I wanted you to feel how uncomfortable that was. I asked you to give him the code because I want you, you to pick up on it because this is what I want you to feel. I'm going to ask you to give God your phone today. To build an altar and say, God, you know, you see. And I need your help. And I give it to you. And I'm asking you to help me. I'm asking you to buy the power of your spirit to help me not stay stuck, but to be set free. So the worship team is coming. And what I want you to do is I want you to take that phone and I want you to pray for the person whose phone that is. I I want you to pray for them. You say, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to, I don't even know what to do. Pray for him like you'd pray for your baby. Pray for him like you'd pray for your son or your daughter. Pray for him that God would help him and strengthen him, that God would call them to something greater and something better, something wiser. Come on. Pray, pray that God would give them freedom, discernment, wisdom. Pray that God wouldn't allow it to keep growing. Just ask God to help them.